Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I am your host again this week, Father David Mowry, chaplain to the Movies by Minutes community. And I am honored to be joined today by a, uh, by a chaplain of a, of a different sort, a chaplain to a different kind of community, not to a group of podcasters, but to our men and women who serve in our nation's military. I'm honored to be joined by a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta and of the Archdiocese for the Military Services. And he is also co-host of the Three Dogs North podcast, Father Mike Metz. Father Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Father David. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Now, now I got to tell you, Father Mike, I thought of you almost as soon as I knew I was going to be hosting this show because of your experience with military chaplaincy. And I wanted to, you know, chaplain to chaplain, wanted to get uh, your mm-hmm. insight into the experience of people who serve in the military and have experiences like we see our main characters in the best years of our lives go through. So before we get into the minute, let me just ask you, what drew you to military chaplaincy in the first place? Hmm. Um, So I was actually in the armed services before um, the military came before the priesthood. And I was in the army and did ROTC in college. Um, and was commissioned as a second lieutenant, and throughout that process of training, um, you know, went through uh, various uh, different discernment processes processes mm-hmm. of what I wanted to do in the military, and the Lord just kind of broke through one summer um, when I was doing some training up in Fort Lewis in Washington State, and uh, just made it really clear that, hey, I, I actually want you to be a priest, and I met a chaplain up there, a, a Catholic priest, and mm-hmm. just seeing the chaplaincy in the army embodied by a, a holy good man out there who was mm. just rock solid priest. You know, it's different when you just see it, when, when you see it in real life. And I think I had the conceptual idea that the chaplaincy existed, but I had never experienced it firsthand. And, and when I did, it was really jaw dropping. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord, he just tugged on something there that it's wild. Like I, before meeting that chaplain, I had no idea that it was there. And then I saw him, and the Lord plucked that string in my heart and just kind of knew this is what I need to do. This is where the intersection of my faith and my love for the military, that this is where the two intersect. And it's being a, a priest in the army. And there's there's a there's an overlap there because both demand uh, a gift of self and a willingness to lay down your life for others. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty virtuous. I mean, what can I say? It's just... <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's why I wanted to have you on, Father. Mike, oh you're man, just let me such tell a you, paragon of of selflessness and humility uh, too. Yeah, let me just tell you, my nickname is Kenosis. It's just <laughs> this absolute pouring out of love. But you know, I'm glad that you brought that up so that I could talk about it. So, well, I, you know, that that's my job is to give you a chance to really shine. <laughs> uh, so, that, so it's really interesting that the military came before the priesthood, and so yeah. did you have? a um an example of military service in your family or was the military something you aspired to um kind of on your own without any other uh, figures to inspire you yeah no i mean growing up in the household um i got a lot of brothers and sisters i'm number two of 11 and the first five of us are boys oh, so small family 
Yeah, one of those small Catholic families. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but my mom and dad are just unbelievable. They're they're so spectacular. My my father was a Navy pilot, um, and oh. he actually um, spent let's see about ten years in the Navy. And so it was the first three or four years of my life. I was born in San Diego, and and he was a Navy guy, and he actually flew F-14s and went through Top Gun training out there in wow. uh, in Miramar, and uh, we just. It was similar to the faith. I mean, there really are so many similarities between um, military service and and service to the Lord. Is it was just kind of a part of the DNA of our family growing up. Was like, hey, we love soldiers, sailors, Marines, um, airmen, and we love the Lord. And it's just kind of a part of the makeup of what dictates the ethos of our family and uh, how we operate in the world. And so when I came uh, about in let's see, junior year of high school. Um, I mean, not to go too long on it, but West Point started recruiting me to play some sports up there, mm. and um, because you were I, you were very you were very um, athletically gifted, and uh, I, I heard t- tales of your prowess. Let me tell uh, you through uh, through stories on Three Dogs North. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, so you probably know about some of that. Yeah, <laughs> this is just a great opportunity for me to just just boast about just how selfless I am, how humble and athletic I am. <laughs> Let me just tell you. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, it's always important to to have good self awareness and just to be honest about who we who we've been made to be by the Lord God. Yeah, and and there's I, t- I promise you, there's a lot of things that I don't you know that, <laughs> that are not my talents, but yeah, I was fairly athletically gifted, and and so in the recruitment process through West Point, I kind of developed this love for the Army, and mm. although my dad was Navy, you know, the military side uh, certainly spoke to me. So I I did Army ROTC and. Mm-hmm. played basketball at this uh at the college that I went to um and the lord just kind of you know he used he used all these different things he, he used basketball to get me into the army and then the mm-hmm. army to get me into the priesthood and and now I get to you know on my best days I get to use all of those things for the glory of God hopefully amen oh, it's just a twitch upon the thread just you, the lord is always very no patient doubt. just reeling us in through lots of little things that happen in our lives yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, of course, you are preparing for chaplaincy with the army. Is your Navy mm-hmm. father okay with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's very, he's very proud of me. Um, he likes to do the kind of fraternal jest thing. Oh, like, sure. You know, go Navy, beat Army. But I got another little brother up at West Point right now, and he's just so head over heels in love with. Uh, both the priesthood and military service that he he can he can only joke about it for so long and then his <laughs> his proud fatherly heart opens up and he's like ah oh, this is great I, you know I love it and I love it so he's been up to visit West Point and visit my brother and awesome he uh, he well I guess he swore me in essentially to become an officer so wow. because he he was an officer he was there a part of the ceremony as well and mm-hmm. yeah, it was great he so he's been uh. A huge support, even though he's a, a lazy Navy guy. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, in this minute, uh, we we don't uh, we don't have to talk about the Navy. But unfortunately, we don't get to talk about the Army. Instead, we're talking about an Air Force captain here mm-hmm. in minute fifty-six of the best years of our lives. Uh, minute fifty-six begins with Fred, our Air Force captain, making sure he wasn't robbed, and ends with Rob asking what group Fred was with. What I love here the in this this particular minute is the music. Because mm. you got this very jazzy woodwind 
uh, backing for the scene to kind of indicate the stupor of waking up in a strange, <laughs> unfamiliar place. It's got kind of that and that kind of that little sway to it, like, oh, what's going on? Where am I? So the order that I watched it, I watched the minute that you sent me, and then I went back and watched the whole movie. And your context is everything, you know. But <laughs> but the one vibe that I did get was that, and it's and it's cl- clearly depicted by the actor and and the music and and just the whole setting adds into it. But like he's waking up where he's not supposed to be, <laughs> like <laughs> and he so has no ways. clue. Yeah, he has no clue where he is, and um, he was obviously out late last night and and what i got an interesting feel for was um there was also and i don't know how it came across but i i picked this up both times when i just watched a minute and when i watched the full movie mm-hmm. that there was a there was a type of uh i i guess you would call it like sacredness like there he mm. was in a it was clear he was in a girl's room and that <laughs> he knew that there were places where he like wasn't supposed to go and Yeah, with that four poster bed that uh, you get a pretty good indication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, okay, well this is he recognizes that he's not just waking up on a couch or he's not just waking up any old place, but he's in he's in the, the bedroom of a woman here. And mm-hmm. uh that was that was even very evident. I don't know how they managed to depict it so clearly with it, but like Okay, this is a kind of a a sacred spot, I guess. Mm. Maybe, maybe sacred's not the right word, but um, this is a spot that d- deserves some sort of reverence, where it's not just like a man cave, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's a reverence that Fred doesn't give it immediately because we we saw just uh, last week on Friday's episode that as soon as he is coming to awareness, he gives that little puff of air. On the, uh, the the frilly covering of the four poster bed, so uh, I don't know if Fred is really feeling the uh, the awe and trembling that he really should after uh, yeah. being <laughs> yeah, no. put up in a woman's bedroom. No, that's totally true. That's totally true. <laughs> and uh, he he doesn't know where he is. I know in my experience when you are. Uh, a seminarian, you're traveling all over the place, staying at a bunch of rectories, staying at a bunch of retreat houses. And the number one question you always have to answer whenever you get anywhere is, where is the bathroom? Because <laughs> you don't want to walk into a closet when you mean to walk into a bathroom. Yeah, and that's exactly what he does. <laughs> the poor guy. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Sure, let's put the door to the bathroom right next to the bed. Perfect. That way, right. minimal travel time when you got to get up in the middle of the night. Yep. But, Fortunately, he, he figures things out pretty quickly. That that could have been messy otherwise. Yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> Closets make poor bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, you know, but even before he gets there, we have that, that shot of him quickly checking his pocket mm-hmm. to make sure that he's got his money clip. Because mm. mm-hmm. he, he has his last money he got from his military service as a right. captain, and he's eager to hang on to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's something that I found interesting that the movie plays with throughout is that uh, when you first meet the characters, they're kind of socioeconomically turned on their head where you think the Mm -hmm. captain would be kind of the wealthier, um, more established, put together uh, life in man and family and different things. But then you have the sergeant who comes in and he's got all this money and he works at this bank and he's mm-hmm. got this big elegant lifestyle. But that, that captain, that air force captain, he's, it's pretty clear that he's fairly poor and, and they depict that throughout the movie. 
Right, his parents live in that shack by the, yeah. the railroad tracks, and yeah. he has no previous education. He, he was just working at the, the soda fountain before yeah. he went into the Air Force. Yeah. He just kind of dumbly is dropping bombs all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like, us, he has... He he takes no willingness to try and explain like that he has any skills to anybody throughout the movie. It's just nope, I just drop bombs. You're like, dude, you gotta find a way to sell yourself a little bit better. This is not the time for humility. You you gotta be more like Father Mike Metz. You you gotta sell yourself a little bit. You gotta boast. (laughs) Yeah, it's be steeped in self knowledge, dude. That's what you gotta. How much leadership would he have gained by becoming a captain in the Air Force? I, I don't know enough about military service you know, in World War II, let alone now, to know how much he would have been served by that experience. Right, right. Well, so my guess is that um, <clears throat> and when he goes in to talk to the manager of the the drugstore that he used to work at, the, you know, the guy asks, like, how did you become a captain and have no administrative or executive mm-hmm. uh, training or development? You, you weren't in charge of any personnel. And I was kind of thinking the same thing. So I, I, I don't know how, um, you know, s- sometimes in the military, there are really uh, niche groups that mm-hmm. you don't have a ton of people there or there's not a ton of paperwork or there's just not a lot of training that goes into it. No, that's not not a lot of training, but there's just not <laughs> a lot of folks to to administrate. And so yeah. it's possible, but most officers in the military and especially today would have a primarily administrative uh leadership role, especially mm-hmm. within the personnel ranks. So yeah, I, that didn't it didn't seem totally realistic to me. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's the disconnect he sees between his civilian life and his military life. As he's trying to come back into civilian life, he just doesn't see what he gained in the military as being applicable. Again, he's still stuck in seeing himself as this. Well, I was a soda jerk. That was all I did, and right. that's really all I'm good at. Uh, you know, if it, it doesn't involve a plane and doesn't involve dropping bombs, then all the stuff I learned in the in the military just doesn't apply here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you say that. I. When you first asked me to come onto the podcast, um, I, I, you know, I, I know I'm a chaplain in the army and and all these different things, and you know, I've I've been around the military for a long time, but I kind of had this thought like I I don't really know. Here's my humility. Here you go. Oh, here <laughs> I don't we really go. know what, like I don't have a ton of specific, particular, especially experiential knowledge where I haven't had a deployment or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm a chaplain in title, but I don't think I'll be able to really contribute anything that unique to the experience of sailors, airmen, uh, soldiers coming home. And it, it was a similar experience. It's like, as I watched the movie, I realized, oh my gosh, this is actually clicking on a lot of levels. And I'm thinking of a lot of chaplain stuff that I wasn't aware that I had learned throughout oh. all of these years. And and so similarly with that captain, it's like, hey, buddy, maybe you know more than you think you know. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe you learn more than you think you learned. Right, because it's a, pro- it's, it's a process of formation, right? You, you are formed in your person rather than gaining knowledge. And what you learn isn't necessarily stuff you can regurgitate onto a page. It's ways of approaching people, ways of thinking about situations, and really a way of seeing things. It's a, it's a formation in wisdom which comes mm-hmm. in military service and chaplaincy in medicine and law and all these other places yeah. that you, 
you can't really articulate what it is that you've learned, but once you start engaging with your area of expertise, then all of a sudden all this stuff comes out. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's a, it's a formation in your being. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where it gets to, you know, the, these deep levels of identity. And, you know, when, when people talk about, like, it, it was my vocation to be a pilot, like, mm-hmm. that identity speaks so deeply to them, you know, and I felt that with priesthood. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, I, I'm not just learning how to do priestly things. I'm learning how to be a priest. And, I mean, that's applicable in the whole Christian life is you know, we're not just learning how to do Christian things. We're learning how to be sons and daughters of the Father. And that's part of your job. That's part of your job as a chaplain, right? Is, is mm-hmm. to help those sons and daughters of God who are in the military services to learn how to act out their Christian vocation in the midst of a very difficult and trying circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like the movie portrays, um, what it's the the entirety of the story is this reintegration back into civilization, back into mm-hmm. normal society. And um, there were so many things that the movie just did uh, so awesome that both families and soldiers struggle with um, during that process of being away and recognizing that this this family that I see myself as an integral part of mm-hmm. is now changed and I have to reintegrate into these changes and how did they change without me? And what does that mean about me in relationship to the rest of my family? And, um, I thought the world was going to be exactly the same when I returned. Yeah. And I mean, they made a number of comments like, look at these folks just playing on the golf course. Can you believe it? Like <laughs> nothing's even going on. <laughs> and soldiers will have that experience all the time where they come back and they're like, I, can't believe that the world is still happening. I thought everything was on pause mm-hmm. until I returned. And and then they, they come back and see furniture rearranged and your children are older and, you know, everybody's gone through this big... And then, and then yourself has gone through this transformation. And so how right. do you reintegrate into your family and... I, there's so much they, yeah. it did. They did a really great job of that. And, and for a movie in 1946, I know listeners, I've, I've been saying this for the last week, but you know, it's a new week. So I get to say it all over again. This movie for it, for being made in 1946. So impressed me. I'm so accustomed to the more, shall we say, jingoistic interpretations of World War mm. II and presented in popular media around this time. So to have this very um, empathetic portrayal, of these mm-hmm. three veterans really impressed me. And yeah. uh, the the difficulty in, yeah, as you say, the difficulty of reintegrating into civilian life is the central theme of this film. And I think Fred has the toughest time of it. Fred is yeah. the most alienated when he comes back because he didn't have much of a life to come back to. Al, the sergeant, and Homer, the the sailor, both have families who are ready to receive them and welcome them. Fred, you know, tries to go to his wife's apartment, but his wife is out working and, you know, he doesn't even really know his wife. They got hitched (laughs) right before he went off to war. So him waking up in a strange bed, you know, no matter where he ended up, he would still be waking up in a strange bed. Al and Homer at least get to wake up in their own beds. But for him, he's just as out of sorts in Peggy's bedroom as he would be, I think, in his own bedroom. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, so I thought, uh, do you remember the scene when they're they're arriving together? It was such a good movie. And can I just say, anytime <laughs> that I watch the classics, uh-huh. I, I'm always hesitant to start them. And then by the end of it, I'm like, 
these are so good. Why don't I watch more classics? I mean, yes. this is just yes, yes. Well, and I'm glad you thought that even after two hours and fifty minutes. I was <laughs> trying to go to bed, and I was like, I just gotta finish this right now. Nice. Yeah, so they, there was so much going on. But do you remember the scene when they're in the taxi together? Yeah. <laughs> They've just met, you know, like two days ago. And you'd mm-hmm. think that they were best buddies, which is, tr- that's true to form. The, mm-hmm. the the way that military personnel can just like pick up on this brotherhood and become very, very close with one another, that's absolutely accurate and true. Um, but they're going through this process of dropping each of them off. Mm-hmm. And Homer's the first and... Uh, he goes to get dropped off, and he's like, "Hey, let's go and get a drink at Butch's." <laughs> and they're like, "No, dude!" And they, 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 you, you got They kind of, yeah, they like dad move him, and they, they, they're, they're mm-hmm. uh, strong, tough love on mm-hmm. him, and they say, "No, it's your time right now." And then hilariously, like Al, the sergeant, that happens again, and Fred says, "No, it's your turn right, right. here." And it was interesting the way that that unfolded um, was that I. I initially thought and maybe it was a part of it but like fred was just being this virtuous good friend kind of like being that wall to his friends and saying Mm -hmm. no you can't run away from here you gotta you gotta run out and meet this challenge but then i thought you know then he gets dropped off at his house and how how much he was not only just dreading coming home but you know how much of the fact where it's like i don't i want to be the last one i want to be the one that you you never really see he doesn't take anybody to where he lives uh just his shabby dick he's ashamed he's ashamed of his circumstance he's going back to his parents house and they live in a shack by the tracks especially after he's seen al's place oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) so it was it was interesting how that played out because i thought oh look at he's such a virtuous guy Mm -hmm. what a great friend and then you're like oh man i think he was actually trying to hide certain things there and that plays out throughout a lot of the movie. Um, yeah. Now, now speaking you know, of of the, the his parents' house, it's interesting to me to to come back to this minute. Eventually, he finds the bathroom, and the music kind of gets out of that jazzy woodwind, kind of settling settling into more uh, more of a lyrical line, uh, indicating a familiarity and being anchored in space. And when he finds the bathroom, what's fascinating to me, he grabs what looks like his shave kit. Mm-hmm. But we know that he dropped off his bags at his parents' place. So is it is it is it standard operating procedure to always have your shave kit with you on your person? Mm. That's like, a good question. Or, or was was he planning that? Uh, like, oh, or, you know, even if he ended up finding his wife, right? He would still want to be presentable the next day. I get the sense that. Like you said, he didn't have a home. He's mm-hmm. he's kind of a nomad. Mm-hmm. And so if he's going to be in uniform, wherever I'm going to wake up, I got to be prepared. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that's not SOP. That's not that's not standard operating procedure. <laughs> uh, but I think he was. Pre- yeah, he was prepared to wake up anywhere. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. OK. All right. Mystery solved. So then we. We leave Fred to uh, get freshened up and cleaned up in the bathroom, and then we cut to the kitchen where uh, Peggy is. She's working on something, not not sure what exactly, as she endures an endless barrage of questions from Rob. Uh-huh. Uh, which, and I love this because this this is very uh, nosy younger brother trying to find out everything about his uh, older sister's life. 
and he's very curious about the Air Force captain uh, who's staying overnight. And he asks about whether he flew 17s or 24s. Yeah. Now, do those those numbers mean anything to you, Father Mike? Well, the, I know that the B-17, that would have been one of the bombers, and I'm assuming a 24 would I, I don't know for sure, but just guessing it's another type of a bomber. So I, I did a little bit of research on these. Uh, so the Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress was produced from 1938 to 1945. They made 12,731 of those planes. Uh, it was a high-altitude, long-range bomber. It was used in daylight bombings in Germany primarily. In a rough estimate, over the course of its service, B-17s dropped 640,000 tons of bombs. Man. So it, it's, I mean, whatever I hear about what the air campaign in Europe did, I'm just amazed there's anything of Germany left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, and a bunch of airmen loved the B-17. There's so many stories and, and photos you can, you can find of badly damaged B-17s returning safely home. Mm-hmm. So the pilots loved these things because they could take a beating and still get them home safely. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the B-24, uh, the 24 refers to the Consolidated B-24 Liberator. Uh, this was made from 1940 to 1945. Uh, this one, more of a production run than uh, Boeing. They pro- This was produced, they produced 18,188 of these planes. It was used both in the European and Pacific theaters due to their range. And what's interesting is that the the B-24 was used in every branch of American armed forces during the war. Wow. And it's, in fact, the most produced military aircraft in U.S. history. Wow. All the other planes don't compare with how many of the B-24s they made. Wow. It was, uh, the pilots nicknamed it the Flying Boxcar. (laughs) <laughs> because of its uh, slab-sided fuselage, just this big boxy plane that was apparently a, a well-beloved workhorse, even by the Army, Father Mike. So mm. how about that? Well, you know, the Air Force is just a, it's just a branch off of, off of the Army. It was the <laughs> Army Air Corps before That's right. the Air Force. So you're welcome, Air Force. <laughs> That's on the show. <laughs> And then Rob asking, well, one more nosy question. What group was he with? Yeah. So an Air Force group would be two or more squadrons, so about 12 to 24 planes. And uh, in February of 1945, which is about when this movie is set, you know, a little later, uh, there were 72 heavy bombardment groups which used B-17s and B-24s. Hmm. There are... A whole number of groups that uh, that Fred could be a part of, yeah. But Peggy says that she doesn't know what she group doesn't Fred know. was with. Mm-mm. Yeah, and no. it's interesting. You you mentioned when he's asking those questions to Peggy. I I do think that there's an element of the little brother, big sister, <laughs> just annoying. Like, tell me this, tell me that, tell me this. But it's it's also clear, and even when he meets Fred in the hallway, that he is genuinely interested in these military ex- expeditions, and you know his what group he was in, and yeah. you know what he flew, and exactly mm-hmm. what did he do, and what campaigns was he a part of, and um, yeah, was World kinda... War Two the the Marvel universe? 
of its time, like how we know all the ins and outs of Iron Man and Captain America right. and the Avengers. We know all these details and we're fascinated by it. Were, were young men similarly fascinated by all the details of military lore during World right. War II? I, I think so. I mean, so that question about what group is he in is, mm-hmm. is a lot of the, the stories and, and lores of legend and, and the heroes that are coming back stateside. You know, the journalists, they would have been covering all that stuff. That would have oh, been yeah. the front page you know, group X, Y, or Z does, does so-and-so. And, and so if you could identify or be a part of a group that was a part of a, you know, a great barrage or a great expedition or something, I, I'm guessing, uh, that the, the country would know, you know, mm-hmm. that, that these are the, these are the heroes that the young men and young women looked up to. Yeah. You would, you would get it in the, uh, the newsreels before the movies. Now today, right. our boys in blue are dropping right, bombs right. on the Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you get all the details that way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Last week, Jonathan, one of my my uh, guests, last Monday's episode, talked about how much he loved Rob because Rob was very uh, golly gee willikers. Golly <laughs> yeah. gee willikers. It's <laughs> just so true. Very, very earnest energy. But the first time we meet him, he has that really serious and grave conversation with his dad, Al. When he was, you know, Al's showing him all the souvenirs from Japan and then Rob's asking him about the the radiation poisoning and mm-hmm. you know, whether Al was sick with it or not. And Al is, is like, well, should I be worried about that? Where yeah. Rob seems to know more about what happened in the war than his own father does. Right, right. Yeah. No, it's true. And so he's a big old nerd. He is a he is a huge nerd. That's very clear. He's talking about <laughs> nuclear radiation and physics and yeah. <laughs> I think Peggy comes in and she's like, "Yeah, I learned some kitchen science." And he's like, "What is this science and <laughs> physics? What's going on?" <laughs> like, well, you know, Peg, Peggy's learning a fair bit. She's working down at the hospital. She is working down at the hospital. That that's true. That's true. Um, but I think what it gets at is it's in in a, there's a bigger or or maybe a deeper story that takes place and each time that a soldier or a sailor or a marine or airman comes back home and they have to reintegrate back into their family it's it's really um how does an experience of war uh, become integrated into this into this life Mm. And, and, and a part of that means that the individual has to allow it to be integrated into themselves as well Mm. and then and then the family has to take that in but it's so tough because that's one of the phrases that you hear. And, and even Homer talks about it as well Is like, I want everybody to treat me normal, mm. but they also don't get it. Like you weren't there. Yeah. So you have an idea of, of the war. That's very different than my particular experience of it. And so trying to mesh all of these different elements that goes on in combat, then with the people who are actually there and then integrate that with the stories of the family, you know, it, it, there's, there's so many different elements that go into, yeah, I guess family integration there. Right. Um, it, it, it's it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. So so put put on your chaplain hat for a minute. So we we we've seen last week Fred go through this this traumatic reliving of seeing a friend's plane go down, and mm-hmm. we we mm-hmm. presume that Godowski did not make it out of that uh, out of that uh, combat. Yeah. So say you're having a one-on-one talk with Fred and he is telling you about these nightmares and these, these dreams. What, well, well, how would you help him through that process? Well, I would, um, 
I mean, first and foremost, just certainly like affirm the difficulty of it. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure that he knew that I heard what he was saying so that he knows that he's being seen and listened to. Um, and then from there, just essentially give him a space to open it up and talk about it. And yeah. sp- specifically, you know, I would enter into a healing process by trying to um, trying to grab the emotions that are attached to the memory so that mm-hmm. we can access his heart and allow God's grace to enter into that. So mm-hmm. the whole, you know, the talking things through is, is, is wonderful. And, and I think that's actually a huge advantage that they also depict in the movie very well to folks that were coming back from World War II and World War One and uh, many other wars prior to our, our modern era um, of, you know, you're in combat one day and the next day you're back at home sleeping yeah. in your bed stateside. The, the people that had these, you know, huge battles in the Pacific and out in Midway and all these different places, they took months to travel back home. And the whole time they're with all of these people who had a shared experience with them that they were able to talk through it and process things in a much more long-term and what I would consider to be a healthy process. Yeah. Whereas what we have is we have to f- kind of manipulate that. We have to contrive it so that when people get back stateside, we actually make them stay. We kind of do like a quarantine deal huh. for them. Kind of emotional, psychological quarantine. Yeah, yeah, and we slowly mm. try to integrate them back in um, because, again, that part of the process in working through those tough memories is talking it out, naming it, uh, naming, like, the pain and the difficulty around it, but then also allowing God's grace and love to come in and, and heal those places because it's it's not just enough to say it. Um, saying it gives us power and identifying right. it and articulating it, and our, our emotions and our memories, those are kind of like the pipelines of God's grace that mm-hmm. that allow his healing to come in. But ultimately, love is the thing that has to come in and, and penetrate right. that and, and to heal it. You're naming those places in order to be loved in those right. places. And right. that's part of that. What, what you're talking about, the integration of that combat experience and the integration of what you went through into your person means that I accept that this happened to me. And I also accept that I am loved by my Heavenly Father in these places of difficulty and trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's um that is a process that only God knows how long that's going to take, you yeah, know? No and kidding. it it takes a lot of courage, so much courage to actually name those things to ourselves. Um you know, and that's <laughs> that's a part of why their friendship is so cool in the movie because mm-hmm. When they try to deceive themselves in a lot of ways, you know, well, let's just go. What if we just had this fun time and go out and get a drink? Or what if you go <laughs> next? And they're like, no, 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 I'm going to be a good friend to you. And yeah, and kind of shut that down. Um, that takes a long time to get to. Yeah. Very good models of friendship. Yeah. In this movie. And, and even when <laughs> when in the future minutes that uh, under movies by minutes uh, contract, I am not allowed to talk about. But, you know, in the future minutes <laughs> where perhaps Alan Fred might you know, have a little disagreement about uh, oh, some of Fred's choices. Man. Dude, such a good scene. <laughs> it really so is. It really good. is. But I and I envy uh, those lucky, lucky people who get to talk about that. Uh, but I am I think they are going to envy us for the very good conversation that we have had here. Uh, Father Mike. Was there anything else that you, know, you wanted to, to say about this minute or about the best years of our lives in general? 
great great flick i'm i'm just kind of blown away you know as different as our day and age is when it comes to combat warfare transportation the thing that's always consistent is people people are the right. same and and the lord is the same throughout all of it and so Amen. it's kind of amazing how you can uh learn stuff in 2020 and and see how it applies directly to people that you know would have been happening in in 1940 1941 1944 and yeah. say uh yeah god's love is still needed there and look people are still being people um and people still need the lord's love that's what it comes down to uh and you know war is hell it it really <laughs> is and it yeah that's a <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's trying to reconcile an experience of, of great difficulty with, yeah. um, you know, living in a life of normalcy where that stuff isn't present. So I think the movie depicts that just incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, great female characters, awesome friendships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True, true to form. Loved it. Well, I'm glad that this was an opportunity for you to learn about this great movie. And yeah. I'm glad that this movie was also an opportunity for us to have this conversation. Father Mike, uh, first, thank you so much for all you do as uh, as a priest for our men and women in, in the Army, but also in the, uh, the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And uh, then on a smaller note, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And it, can I give a Three Dogs North plug? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if if folks have enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more from you, uh, tell us about the, the podcast that you do. Yeah, it'll just be really brief. It's just myself and two other priests that I went to seminary with. It's called Three Dogs North, and we just sit around and chat. Maybe not as interesting as all this here, but <laughs> we don't have Father David, so I don't know. I mean, it's mm. a great podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's and that's what makes it great. Man, oh man, I'm just really puffing my head up here. This is this is bad. No, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. So yeah, I encourage listeners to check out Three Dogs North. I've been a silent guest on Three Dogs North for many years, and you, Father, I really David. enjoy yeah. the 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 insight and the the friendship that the hosts have as they just unpack being Catholic and being Christian and trying to be good people in a world as crazy as ours. And so maybe you can check out a couple uh, episodes of Three Dogs North while you wait for our next show tomorrow. And if you're looking for where you might find the Best Minutes podcast, well, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site at thebestminutes.com. You can join us uh, down for a drink at Butch's Place at the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at The Best Minutes. And listeners, we hope that you will join uh, us again next time on The Best Minutes Podcast. Hey, Joe. You better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.